Hello, everybody. This is Peter Ravella, the co-host of the American Shoreline Podcast. And this is Tyler Buckingham, the other co-host. You know, Tyler, uh, one of the major issues around the American shoreline all over America is flood risk and storm risk on the shoreline. And it is especially true in this great state of Texas. The, The Texas was galvanized by Hurricane Harvey in 2017 and Hurricane Imelda in 2019, two major storms that flooded the city of Houston, prompting a substantial response from our state government in Texas. And the state of Texas, in the last legislative session, took major action to create a new state flood planning and flood response process. And we're here today at the Texas Water Development Board. That is the state agency that has been handed the keys to this kingdom and asked to develop the programs for flood management in the state of Texas. There is a major new fund. You know, government programs can be a little cryptic, but this one really matters. It's going to drive flood planning in the state of Texas and on the coast. There is about a billion dollars worth of revenue associated with this new effort and a new state of Texas flood plan. Anyway, to guide us through this really complicated new program in the state of Texas, relevant to coastal states all around America, is Kathleen Ligon. She is the special assistant to the executive administrator of the Texas Water Development Board, a major state agency. Kathleen Ligon, welcome to the American Shoreline Podcast. Thank you. Kathleen, really looking forward to getting into our discussion today. And Peter, I, I just think you, while this is certainly a Texas program, a state of Texas program, uh, around the American shoreline, all of the coastal states and even inland states are uh, reevaluating how they are managing uh, the, their management of water. And uh, of course, it's paramount on the, on the shoreline. Uh, but this is a trend that we are following very closely, so we really look forward to getting into it with you, Kathleen. But first, let's have a quick word from our sponsors. We'd like to thank two sponsors kicking off 2020 that help keep Coastal News Today going and the American Shoreline Podcast Network. We're welcoming this year LJA Engineering, a fantastic coastal engineering and civil engineering firm headquartered in Houston, Texas, with offices along the Gulf Coast. They have an exceptional and new coastal resiliency department that uh, can help out communities all around the American shoreline with coastal resiliency, vulnerability analysis and planning. We wanna welcome them. Find more about LJA at lja.com. And we also want to thank our sponsor, Coastal Transplants out of Wilmington, North Carolina. Steve Mercer and his team are some of the best coastal dune restorers and planters in the country. Uh, they travel around the southeast and Gulf Coast collecting native seeds of you know all the full suite of dune plants. They cultivate them on their farm and do plantings, and they are just absolutely fantastic at what they do. Uh, you can reach them at coastaltransplants.com. Seriously, if you are a private homeowner, a city, someone who has a dune restoration project or a dune vegetation project that you want to take care of, go to coastaltransplants.com and learn more. So Kathleen, uh, for the benefit of our listeners around the country, I think a lot of folks in Texas know what the Water Development Board is, but can you give us the thumbnail sketch of what the Texas Water Development is and what it does? Sure. We're a Pretty small state agency, relatively. We have about 300 folks right now. We're growing with the new programs, but we've been around since 1957. We were created by constitutional amendment out of the after the drought of the 1950s, which is still our worst drought on record in the state of Texas. And we've been around since then doing um, water-related work. So we were initially created to, to be a water infrastructure bank, and we still we still perform that role here today. Um, we've since about the 1960s, we've been doing um, water planning, so wa- planning for future water supplies. We are a big data and science repository for anything water-related. We um, we host an, a lot of um, maps and other information. We, we house the Texas Natural Resources Information System, which is the clearinghouse for GIS data in the state, too. So we do a lot of different things. Well, and, and, and you're talking about the banking role that the agency performs in Texas. And for folks in other states around the country, 
the state revolving funds, which are created here in Texas but exist in all the other states, these are the federally mandated uh, state programs that fund clean water, municipal water supply, water towers, water pipes, municipal water systems, and the and the safe drinking and the safe. Uh, yeah, it's the clean water funds, uh, state revolving fund, which is the financial bank for sewage treatment plants, and infrastructure in Texas. They are comparable to those state revolving funds in other states around the country. And what the legislature did in the session in 2019 was add a brand new big giant banking infrastructure management program to your portfolio. Can you give us an overview of what this new flood management responsibility is for your agency? Sure. So the the legislature legislature created a couple of different things. One of them was the Flood Infrastructure Fund, and that was um, approved by, it was created by the legislature, but it was approved as a separate fund outside the Treasury by voters in this past November. So it's special in that regard and that future legislatures um, can't take that money and use it for a different purpose. So we were appropriated $793 million out of the Rainy Day Fund, the Economic Stabilization Fund, into that account, and it is to be used for only flood mitigation, drainage, and flood control projects. So mm -hmm. it's dedicated for that purpose. So that's a new fund that we'll be administering. We have the ability to give out grants and loans. And so right now we're in a public comment period. We're accepting comments on um, our rules to implement the program and also this thing that we call the intended use plan, which will lay out how the fund is going to be used. And so we're at a point now where we're waiting to hear from people on how we've laid out categories for funding and how we would um, differentiate grants from loans, that type of thing. And our public comment period is going to close next, uh, I think it's Monday, 13th. Yeah, you have a, a, climate, uh, a deadline on uh, uh, coming up this next Monday, mm -hmm. uh, two sets of rules in the following Monday. But let's talk about, let's introduce our reader uh, listeners a little bit to the flood infrastructure fund that you mentioned. Uh, it was great. This, as you said, came out of a proposition, a constitutional amendment on the ballot statewide in Texas called Prop 8. And uh, in a stunning electoral victory, it received about 78% of the vote in approval to authorize the creation, as you said, of this specialized fund, which is outside the general revenue of the state of Texas budget. That means the legislature cannot grab the money, move it to other things. It's got a lockbox on it. And they grabbed eight, almost $800 million out of our rainy day fund. They talk about this in Texas all the time. Our, the state emergency fund, which the legislature is very protective of that money, decided to invest $800 million in the new flood infrastructure fund, um, which is a huge amount of money. However, given the needs, perhaps not going to be the final tab. Can you talk a little bit about the sources of revenues that are going to be going into the fund besides the uh, the rainy day fund commitment of $800 million. Uh, I guess the legislature can add to it over time in the future. Um, there are bonding obligations that you can issue, either general obligation bonds or revenue bonds from the Water Development Board. Does the agency have a feel for, over the next five years, what that fund might contain in terms of dollars? Do you have a sense yet? Or, you know, I know we're in the early stages. That's a tough one, and we still, like I said, we're still in this public comment period, and our board has to make some decisions on how we're going to use the fund, and we do have the ability to leverage the fund with bond sales. However, what we've, we've learned from this thing called the state flood assessment, which I can kind of go into a little bit more, but there's oftentimes not a great um, demand for loans for flood projects, and so what we've seen is there's a lot more demand for grants. Mm -hmm. So when a community comes to us and they have the ability to um, pay back a loan, we have the ability to go to the market and sell bonds to leverage the program. When someone comes to us and, um, you know, just wants a grant, typically we just grant out cash for that. So Everybody loves that. So a lot of it depends on what sorts of projects are going to come in. We're going to open up the application period probably in March. And so we'll, we'll see then what kind of demand there are for loans versus grants and how everything will shake out right. at that point. Kathleen, when you're thinking about the origin of this major new initiative by the state of Texas that will ultimately lead to the state of Texas flood plan, um, what do you think drove the decision in the legislature? What did the agency, when you had your finger on the pulse of this thing, what do you think happened that, that drove the state to take a central role in flood planning in this great state? Well, I'm sure it was a really 
you know, a lot of different things that have happened over time, really cumulative effects. And one of the things that I think made um, the need for this really striking is not just flood events, because they've happened for years and have always happened, but we have a state flood plan, and we've had a state flood plan for decades, since the 1960s. And since 1997, we've had a really structured regional water supply planning process in place. And that's been an enormously successful endeavor on really by all accounts. And so what happens is we have uh, science and modeling and data that supports that planning effort. We have a decentralized planning process around the state where local stakeholders weigh in. That rolls up into a plan. Uh, community can come to us. They can get money through our state water implementation fund for Texas program to implement a project in that plan. Right. So it's, it's very structured. It's kind of cradle to grave type of planning. And it's very striking to look at how we plan for floods and think, well, we don't we don't have any sort of structure like that. Right. Now. So in, in that overview you just gave, you said we've had a state flood plan since 1950. I think maybe you were saying in the 60s. Uh, mm-hmm. Is it flood plan or water? Plan? Water plan. Yes. Excuse me. Yeah. Excuse me. And what's new is that we're going to take that model mm-hmm. of state water plan supply, which, as you said, has been very successful in managing creation of reservoirs and municipal water f- supplies around the state with a strong regional planning component. The state flood planning process that was just created by the legislature sounds similar. Is it pretty much mimicking that path that has been taken before? It's very similar. It will have different data and science inputs, but for the most part, the structure and how it um, how it's laid out in statute is very very similar to the way we do water supply planning. So there'll be regional groups. They'll be organized by river basin, which is a little bit different than the way we do water supply planning. Um, th- it'll be stakeholder based. So there's uh, about a dozen groups that must be represented on each on each planning group. Um, it'll be the same concept where the group comes up with a regional plan that'll get rolled up into a state flood plan. So it's, it's very similar. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, as usual, I'm going to play the part of, uh, you know, maybe a little bit more of the layman here and try to fill in. I want to just step back and um, it's very clear that this, this new uh, planning initiative and, uh, you know, role that uh, the Texas Water Board is going to be having is definitely a policy change. But um, I think for, for a certain segment of our audience, we need to go back just quickly and, and go back and talk about um, why uh, what, you, what you guys do for municipalities, be they coastal or anywhere else, in paying for and helping these, com- these communities along in uh, getting their infrastructure built. And can we go back to the, a little bit of the beginning and talk about how, what you guys, what your existing mission has been and how this is going to be, I know we're in the planning process, but apply going forward? Sure, and that's a big question. It is. <laughs> and so I guess you can think of it as being really comparable to what we do now in that for water supply planning, we've got Um, groundwater availability models that support the process. We've got um, a staff of planners that support the planning process. We have a water use survey that collects water use data around the state for all water use sectors. So we have a a really... Let let me back up even uh further. So a drop of rain falls in Texas. Mm -hmm. Is Is it your responsibility to understand what happens to that water? Ooh, that's a big responsibility. I, I think um, oh, that's a hard question. Well, I mean, in general, um, the agency is responsible for the allocation of surface waters in the state, as you were saying, well, and on groundwater? No. So we are not a regulatory agency. The TCQ, the Texas Commission on Environmental Quality, they, they regulate. So they okay. technically they... That's, uh, so this is good. I'm, they permit um, surface water use in the state of Texas. They, okay. they own... Um, surface water and ground groundwater is a little bit different in the state of texas and that's um it's a, a landowner right essentially right and so at the, as the water development board we support um groundwater planning there's a groundwater planning process too that's separate we 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 assist in the administration of that process we maintain and develop groundwater availability models so in that sense we're we're the repository of data and science that helps supports local decision making cool you had mentioned the flood vulnerability assessment a little earlier, and let's talk about that a little bit. Um, it, this assessment is um, is indicative or meant to capture or describe the flood risk problem in Texas. Can you tell us about the assessment and what did 
broadly speaking, what were the findings? Are, are we pretty are we pretty risky in Texas from flood? Do we uh, is it a big problem in our state? That's a really good question. So I'll tell you a little bit about where the flood assessment came from. So just to kind of back up, we always talk about Hurricane Harvey as the impetus for all of this, and that is true to an extent. But there was a, a flood in 2015 that was really a wake-up call for the state. And I don't know if y'all remember that, but there was the flooding on the Blinka River yes. near Wimberley. And what was particularly significant about that was there was a sleepy little Blinka River in the hill country, and it rose about 30 feet in just a couple of hours. And so... The people who were on the river, near the river, did not know that this wall of water was coming. And part of that was because, and the reason for that is they didn't have a flood gauge upstream to tell them that. And so I think it was a real wake-up call for the state that we don't have enough data and science and information that we need to make decisions and to be fully prepared. It's not just a plan, but to also respond to flood events. And so after that, that event happened towards the end of the legislative session in 2015. And the legislature immediately appropriated some emergency funding, and we entered into an agreement with the governor's office to spend that money. And our first order of business was to install new flood gauges and to also do what's called flood hardening of gauges, which is essentially like lifting them out of the, the floodway so they don't get washed away, which is what happened at Wimberley. So that was the first thing that we really took on as, a, as really new responsibilities. Before that, we'd had a few people who supported flood planning. But in general, we just had, you know, just a couple of folks doing that. So this was a big shift after 2015. So after we did some of this initial work and we started a new website called TexasFlood.org where you can subscribe to a flood gauge. So we did some other initial work. And we, we came back to the legislature and we said, you know, we don't really know what needs to be done. We just, we don't understand our risks. You know, flooding is very complicated and all the responsibilities. When is this now? This was in 2015. Okay. And so we went back to the legislature the next session and said, Second, we have about, I think it was about six or $800,000 to do a survey of all the floodplain administrators in the state. And we received that, that funding and we turned it into what we decided to call the state flood assessment. We didn't want to call it a flood plan because we knew we didn't have enough money, you know, mm -hmm. to, to do something as comprehensive as a real plan. But we, we took this funding, we did a couple of surveys with floodplain administrators and a lot of other stakeholders, local officials, probably some of your viewers filled out their surveys and came to our workshops. And we, ca we came up with this really readable report we called the State Flood Assessment. It's pretty short. It's only about 100 pages. But it goes into a lot of uh, detail about our risk and how flooding is pervasive in Texas. It's a problem really for everyone. And that roles are oftentimes not defined well. There's no structure. There's not enough um, mapping and data and science to support a good flood planning process. So you may have some, there are pockets of the state that have a lot of resources that can do really progressive planning and floodplain management. But for the most part, most of the state of Texas has a lot of needs for resources. And so after we published that report, our, our board recommended to the legislature that the state make greater investments in those three areas. So it's mapping, planning, and mitigation. And so that's essentially what happened last session. There, there were a lot of concurrent efforts. I'll say like there was the um, Hurricane Harvey, the um, like on the name of it, uh, the Rebuild, Rebuild Texas Commission mm -hmm. came up with the Eye of the Storm report. And so there were a lot of different recommendations and other things going on besides our report. But our board's recommendations were that, you know, the state make greater investments in, um, in science mapping. And then also we need a coordinated planning process so that, you know, the communities without resources to do planning are brought into the fold. And then also we need a greater state investment in flood mitigation strategies. And so that's exactly what the legislature did, passing these the, the two bills, which was Senate Bill 7, which created the Flood Infrastructure Fund, and the Texas Infrastructure Resiliency Fund, mm -hmm. and then Senate Bill 8, which is the uh, regional and state flood planning process. And that's, I, I think this regional flood planning process, which, as you said, mimics the state's water supply regional planning processes that the Water Development Board oversees, is really the, one of the foundational elements of the new initiative on flood risk management in the state of Texas. And let me see if I understand the situation leading into the plan. In the good old days, when there were flood risks happening, maybe a city would take on a drainage project or a bank stabilization effort here or there. Maybe a county did a little something here or there. Maybe there was a drainage district or a levy improvement district. And all of these little municipalities operating on a watershed let me just say maybe piddling around with the edges of it trying to figure out how to reduce risk in their own community uh, it seems in reading the Senate Bill 7 and 8 
legislation and the legislative reports that there is a recognition that the good old days of everybody independently acting to reduce risks in a watershed doesn't really work out because the watershed is an integrated geophysical thing and the water connects from one community as Tyler said one jurisdiction to the next so along comes the legislature and I would think with based on the recommendations from from a lot of folks around the state, but the Water Development Board included, is we have got to get this flood planning process into a comprehensive regional watershed-based system. Is, is that kind of one of the mainstays of this new initiative? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, we all know water flooding does not respect political boundaries, and oftentimes um, communities just don't have the you know, it's it's difficult to even have a forum to get together to even discuss these issues sometimes, right? So what's great about this process, the new flood planning process, is that it's a forum, it's a table, everybody gets together and they meet regularly to discuss these issues. And everyone is represented too, so no one is left out. And one of the, the cornerstones of the funding piece of it is that everybody has to work cooperatively. You don't get your money if you didn't work cooperatively. Yeah. And you have to demonstrate that. Yeah, that's a big deal. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, it, it completely sets up a, a hierarchy of of decision making control in a way. Obviously, there's ways for all everyone to be involved throughout the process. But just to bring this back for our coastal audience, uh, we all know across, around the American shoreline that what happens on the upland impacts uh, you on the shoreline. And so... The way I'm thinking about this is if you go back 50 years ago, you know, you're, as Peter said, working along the mar- along the edges, it's like these little marginal projects. Uh, the water is being drained more fat, more quickly into streams, into little rivers, uh, and this is all heading out to, in, this, in the case you cited, poor Wimberley that got just obliterated through the, the river there. Um, or if it's coming out into our Texas coastline, be it the the area of Houston, which is extremely low lying. I mean, these the, the our coastal area is yeah. low. It's a bottomland, and when this water flushes out, it can create flood risks downstream. So, yeah. it, needless to say, that there's an interest that parties along the coast are interested in what is happening, even hundreds of miles inland. And this was the case this past year in 2019. The great flood of the Mississippi had a dramatic yeah. impact on. Uh, coastal uh, Louisiana and Alabama, and we've been covering this on Coastal News today. Just wanted to get that in. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. And what I, it, it, what's amazing to me in looking at the legislation, and I have to say I'm impressed by what the state of Texas is doing here by going to a watershed-based flood management system and mandating that all of the players along that watershed work together to form a comprehensive strategy to reduce flood. For coastal residents, of course, as Tyler's saying, uh, what happens in Dallas on the Trinity River has an impact on the lower part of the river. And in the old days, when those actions were not coordinated, uh, flood risk is passed from one community down the river. And uh, when I look at this, I'm thinking the, the administrative intensity of what has been designed here is quite high. All of the counties in the watershed need to be involved. All of the municipalities are involved. All the drainage districts, the levee districts, or other political subdivisions with flood management responsibilities are all going to have to be at the table, mandated, as you said, by law. And if that regional plan is not built on consensus and stakeholder engagement and cooperation, you're not going to get money to implement the projects that you want. So I'm thinking about the level of effort that is going to be required. Do, do, do we know how many flood basins, I mean, what river basins there are in Texas that are on that map? I know you guys have put out a draft boundary map for these regional. I is think it? there's 15 major river basins and then about half that in coastal basins. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. So each of these regions is going to have to develop their own integrated flood plan. And as you said, those will all be gathered together into the state flood plan and it is that state flood plan which is the gateway to the uh, flood infrastructure fund it's the way to get to the cash if your project is not in your regional plan if it is not in the state flood plan when you come knocking on the door at the water development board and saying you know what we need a bunch of money to do x or y to reduce flood risk on the coast of texas 
you flip open the state plan and if it's not there the answer is going to be no is that am i accurate about that well that's close so the first state plan won't be due to the legislature until 2024 right and so, also i would if i can just interject on your story peter hopefully the 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 uh, interested party in question that is going to show up did their has their uh, they were a part of the regional plan and it is in there and the answer will be of yes course. there is your project <laughs> thank you very much we'd love to do it yeah that's Sorry. what's got that's what we want right yes. but go ahead so prior to the first state flood plan being in place we'll require that everybody work together and demonstrated that they worked cooperatively so once we have the flood plan in place it'll be much easier to say oh where's the project there it is in the plan before that we have to do a little bit more work to figure out you know did everyone work together because we don't we don't have that process in place yet right and 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 so the the regional plans are due in january 2023 Mm -hmm. the state flood plan is supposed to be final in january 2024 it's kind of like landing a 747 yeah i mean it's a it's a long approach here it's a lot (laughs) you have to spin up the regional plans uh planning organizations these regional flood planning groups rfpgs i think is what they're called and uh those have to be created organized memorands of understanding entered evaluations of risk in the watershed prioritization of projects, who's doing what, what spending is the right thing, coordinate all of that, get all of that planning put together, stack up their favorite project list and hand it to y'all for the state plan. This is a tremendously big job for a state of our size. It is. And uh, it's it's going to be, and I know uh, for the listeners out there, the reason we're doing the show now is because the administrative rules to implement the planning process in the regional uh, flood plan process is are out for public comment now. I think in the next couple of weeks that comment period closes. It's a pretty fast track to adoption, February, March. Um, here's one of the things I'm wondering. You know, so we know that those regional flood plans aren't due till January 2023, the state plan, and not till January 2024. There's going to be a lot of flood spending going on here in the next three years. How how is that? How does it work in the interim? Do you think is the flood infrastructure funding available during this period as the planning occurs for projects, or is everybody going to sit tight until these planning processes are concluded? That's a good question. So we have the money available. We've already been appropriated to it. Uh, it's already been appropriated to us, and yeah. we're going to open up the first round for funding just in March. So oh, wow. it could be that we we don't know what we're going to get. We don't really know what's out there. We don't have a list of projects yet that we can just say, oh, we've got a plan. We know what's in there. Mm-hmm. So we're going to wait and see what we have. It could be that we we commit our board commits all the funding by the you know this year. We're okay. looking at um, our first board commitments this fall, and then closing on the loans or grants the following year. So that'd be next spring. Mm-hmm. So it's possible that we could use all the, the money right up front or in the first couple of rounds. So um, it's just a big unknown right now what's out there. Right. And there is no, um, you know, there's really a, no other source of revenue. So going back to the legislature next session, it could be that the legislature chooses to put some more some more funding in the flood infrastructure fund. We know that there's a lot more needs out there. Okay. So people on the coast or around the state of Texas that are facing, if you're a county or a municipality and you're looking at a flood problem and there's a project that should be done uh, as the regional plans are being put together between now and January 2023 uh, you can apply into the flood infrastructure fund and uh, here's a great bureaucratic and acronym for folks folks out there the way it is going to be decided who gets the money is through what is called the flood infrastructure uh, intended, intended use, use plan, plan, which is going to be the list of all the projects that are scored and prioritized. And if you're at the top of that list or in the funded zone, you're eligible. What I think was interesting about what the state did here, and this is similar to what y'all do on water infrastructure uh, for supply, is that you can submit a project into the intended use plan anytime during the year. And, uh, and, and see where it scores, bring it onto the list, and hopefully get selected for or either uh, low interest loans or grants um is that am i just am i on track there yeah that's close so it'll be really similar to way the way we do our state revolving funds that you mentioned earlier so there's a clean mm-hmm. water state revolving fund and the drinking water state revolving fund yeah and so it's a similar process and that will be opening up um, the application period and it's essentially what we'll be doing is taking in a short application right where we, we, it's just a couple of pages, we ask, 
just what we need to prioritize the projects. So a pre-application sort it of. It is. It's mm -hmm. a, an abridged application. Mm -hmm. And so we'll be taking that information. We'll rank all the projects against each other. Um, we'll lay them all out and see where everybody, you know, are you in the money? Are you close to the money? And then if you are if you rank highly, you'll be invited to come apply and do a full application. Right. So essentially it saves everyone time. Right. You get a little screening process. Yes. You throw out the bad mm -hmm. stuff. You say these 25 look pretty good. Y'all go develop the full-scale application, bring mm -hmm. it forward, and then we'll rescore them and see who gets the cash. Yes. Sort of a deal. Uh, for the benefit of the listeners out there around the country, let me, and, and I wanted to sort of go through the list of what the authorized, what can you spend the money on in the flood infrastructure fund and, and taking notes before the show, looking at all the great materials, by the way, on the Water Development Board's website about these programs. Here's what you can get. You can get loans to local governments for flood projects, and that means both mitigation projects, structural, soft responses, loans for the permitting process, the planning and design, the engineering of these projects, and the regulatory uh, application process. And this is interesting. You can get revenues to meet federal matching requirements, which is a very smart policy move, I think, by the state of Texas and the Water Development Board. A lot of these federal flood mitigation programs require local investment and partnership, and a lot of small towns or counties don't have a lot of cash laying around to do that. You can come to the Flood Infrastructure Fund for that federal match. Um, and if the community is particularly uh, we cannot afford to do this stuff. There's grants that up to 100% of a project cost, depending on the ability to pay of a, of a, a community. Um, and the administrative expenses for the fund and flood research and plan. It's a pretty comprehensive list of the things that you need to understand, plan, and respond to flood risk in Texas can be paid for out of the flood infrastructure fund from the Water Development Board. It sounds That's pretty damn good. Yeah, and some people have read our draft intended use plan, and they said, oh, why didn't they give this as a use for the fund? Well, the list that we gave is really just examples. It's just mm -hmm. not, it was not intended to be an exhaustive list whatsoever, so we'll try to make that more clear to everybody. But if you were to make an exhaustive list, I think it would go on for days because really a lot, a lot of activities are eligible. A lot of things qualify as flood mitigation. Well, I, I did have one quirky question when I went through the rules, uh, the proposed rules for Chapter 362 at Section 363.402, and it's the flood infrastructure. Here we go. I, know, I'm not, I, I am not going to go down into the weeds here, but I just want to say it's the flood infrastructure intended use plan. And one of the listed items jumped out at me in addition to that broad category of things that we just talked about. There is an authorization to spend money to deepen a federal channel, to dredge, essentially. Um, can you tell me, do you know why that's there? I, I was thinking, why is authorization for maintenance of a federal shipping channel um, included? Do you, any insight on that proposed part of the rule? I think that has to relate that relates to some of the projects that are going along the coast that I'm really not that familiar with. Okay. But I believe that's actually in statute. Okay. That wasn't something that we came up with. I think that was spelled out in Senate Bill 7. Right. Mm -hmm. It didn't surprise me because I think the eligible entities for recipients includes the navigation districts, and the navigation districts spend a lot of money. I could, I could imagine a scenario. Big flood occurs, major sediment flush coming into the base systems, fills up a critical uh, shipping channel, that needs to be opened right away, and you can come to the Flood Infrastructure Fund and reopen that channel. That's what I'm speculating could be the purpose of that expenditure authorization. Yeah, I'm afraid I would have to speculate, too, if I, <laughs> if I weighed in on that. <laughs> well, it hasn't, um, hasn't been adopted yet, so there's a lot still to talk about. Well, uh, no, this is riveting, diving into the, what, I don't know, what's that, subpart D or whatever, but uh, one of the cool things we get to do here, uh, Kathleen, in talking to people like you who are in charge of running these programs is to talk a little bit about how you got into this. I mean, here you are with, as, as we've talked about, I mean, this is an, an amazingly complex program to basically invent. Uh, I know that you've got this other uh, kind of example with the the uh, was it the drinking water mm -hmm. uh, reservoirs and all that, but which was done regionally, but this is all new. There's a lot of new data um, out there. Uh, how did you come to be in this position? Have you are you a 
What's your background? Uh, oh, that, me personally? Yeah, you personally. Oh, wow. Okay. Introduce yourself to the audience a little bit personally. Um, well, most recently I worked in governmental relations, and this past session we knew that flooding was going to be a big topic, and I'd been involved some with the state flood assessment, helped our staff put it together. It was a really big team effort that we did. And so during session I handled our flood legislation, and so um, we, we try to divvy things up amongst our governmental relations staff. and. And so that's how I personally came to this particular topic. I don't have any expertise in flooding. And when I go out to conferences to speak, I immediately introduce myself as a, I mean, I'm not a flood expert at all. I'm a policy person. Uh-huh. Um, before that, I worked in our planning group. And we were organized a little bit differently back then. But I started out working in regional water planning. So that's my background as a planner. But um, yeah, I am not a flood expert. So um, I've been put into this position um, essentially to be a project manager and to help make sure that the whole agency is working together to get it implemented because it's really taking dozens of our staff every single day to put together two new brand new programs and so it's a big lift for our agency we only have about I think 320 folks right now and so to put in um, two new programs that are each going to be you know 30-ish people it's, it's really a significant it's it's really a huge from an administration it perspective. Is. It's your yeah. and I just have to imagine your for a lot of folks are kind of working two jobs as yeah. things are transitioning. That's got to be yeah. quite a quite a process to be doing. Yeah, even even simple things like office space. We we haven't had enough place to put everyone that we're hiring, and so we're that's been a big issue trying to figure out where we're going to put everybody. Well, Kathleen, did you get a chance to spend time over at the Capitol during the pre- development of these of Senate Bill 7 and Senate Bill 8 and uh, the discussions around Prop 8, the constitutional amendment? Mm-hmm. What was the sale pitch like and uh, how did the legislators react? What was the uh, ha- ha- tell us a little bit about what happened inside the big pink granite building over here on uh, Congress Avenue in Austin, Texas? Well, just so y'all know, you know, we um our agency is a state agency. We don't we don't lobby. So right. our board has the ability to make recommendations. That's right. <laughs> and so we serve as a resource to the legislature. And of so course. our board put out these recommendations in about last December. And um, they're pretty strong recommendations, I'll say, pretty strong policy recommendations. But I would say that, you know, it was really the will of the legislature. And what was really striking about this past session was many of the members that we worked with closely this was a really personal issue for them. They went through flooding themselves. There's one member we worked with who evacuated his kids on a boat during Harvey. And so there was just a lot there was just a, a huge groundswell of support for doing something. And it was it was really it was a great experience to work with members who were so passionate and it's not a partisan issue and um, and we just we enjoy supporting the legislature and serving as a resource to them. Well, is my I wanna, well, can I just get in on that? I'm yeah, sorry, go, Peter. Yeah, go I, ahead. I, I, go know ahead. You, I know you want to follow this, this please, thread. Please, go And ahead. Kathleen, I know that you cannot comment on this, and I'm not – this is just my opinion now. Um, but, you know, uh, Peter, this is a, a, a theme that I've seen across the American shoreline, not only here in Texas where there has been uh, some really extreme weather events over the past several years. Um, I was out in California for the holidays, and – Uh, The reminder of the fires and uh, the big flood in Montecito, which uh, I drove through that area. um, And they're I mean, they're still digging out of that and the rebuilding is still happening. Um, We hear about what's going on in Florida with DeSantis. We hear about what's going on in the Carolinas in New York. Uh, We've we've interviewed on this network uh, people from the Army Corps of Engineers. You know, there is a real sense I I feel out there that um, new actions, new measures, new levels of planning are necessary. And I think that is being reflected in the decision-making bodies. Whether or not certain words are used or not depends depends on what state you're in. Is it climate change? (laughs) Was there discussion of climate change in the the legislature? Was that part of the thinking? Well, hold on. I I know that's an important question, but I just want to say that, like, this is a theme. This is a trend that we're seeing about thinking about uh, our risks and managing them for, on, in different ways, looking at, in this case, looking at it more regionally, trying to be better at it. This is a theme that we're seeing across the American shoreline. And yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it's important that we, we understand that we might call it. I mean, it, it passed through the Texas legislature, this, this thing. Of course, the voters 
uh, voted for it mm-hmm. ultimately, but this was politically viable and it's actually happening. And it, it yeah. does represent, in my opinion, an evolution in the way we're thinking about water in, in this state and risk and risk. D- it, can you comment on the on whether that topic was discussed in, 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 in the context of the legislative process to create the flood infrastructure fund? You know, I don't really recall it being specifically a topic of conversation. I do think that the legislature has always been very supportive of best available science supporting planning efforts. And that's something that we, you know, feel that this is the Water Development Board's strong suit is we provide data and science. Central to your mission. It is. It's central to our mission to provide best available science to support local decision making, regional decision making. And so um, with this process, I mean, we have in our rules that we're going to use the best available science. That's a guiding principle of developing the state flood plan. And so not only do we want to use the best, you know, and most recent data and rainfall data specifically came out last year called Atlas 14. We'll certainly be using that in our mapping efforts. But also it's an iterative process. And mm-hmm. so the first state flood plan is due in 2024, but as soon as that plan is turned in, work the next day starts on developing the next plan. And so just like we do regional water supply planning, that planning never stops. Yeah, It's iterative. It keeps going and going and going. It's never – the stopping point is, is not really the plan. It, it just keeps going. And so we always have the ability to incorporate new data, new information. And what that, is the – again, I'm sorry. I, I don't mean to interrupt, but I just find this to be an important part of our governance of the land-water interface, Peter which is that you don't there isn't there isn't an end uh it's it's you're always in a state of uh adaptation adjustment new data new trends new understanding of what our planet is and this is what when we were talking with uh the scenario planning for climate change and the psychological elements of planning this is an important element that there isn't an end mark that it is in the public's interest. It's in the state of Texas interest to constantly be working on this and always be planning, always be planning. It's (laughs) bring something up. I haven't had a chance to mention yet, but part of the funding that we've received to implement the plan, about half of that, we received about $47 million. About half of that is going to go towards mapping activities. And so that's all on, you you can't see this on the, on the podcast, but we have maps up on the wall that are, LIDAR topographic data. Very cool maps. And so that data is, it rolls in, I think, on about a seven or eight year cycle, but it's topographic data, and that's what's used as the base for um, developing engineering models. And so what we're going to be doing is developing what's called base level engineering. We'll be contracting that work out by engineering firms. But base level engineering is essentially just a really simple engineering model that shows where flooding occurs in Texas. Mm -hmm. And believe it or not, we just don't, we don't have that for most of the state. So you can look, uh, FEMA has a, we work really closely with FEMA on this, and they have a viewer online now, and you can open up the viewer and see that, you know, most of the state does not have this very basic data on flooding. And um, if, if everybody's familiar with, you know, flood insurance rate maps, those exist out there, but a lot of those are out of date or they're da- they're they're based on old data. Mm-hmm. So they are not really the best source of Our audience is coastal, so they're yeah, very they're familiar know what, firms what are. those are. Yeah. They know what the firms are in the in the national effort to update and digitize the uh-huh. firm maps around the country. And I know Tenris has been involved in that process uh-huh. for many years, uh, your inside organization, your data mapping organization. Uh, I'm, I'm curious about this. Um, there are the, the Water Development Board is going to be the lead on our new state flood plan and administering and managing and assisting these regional flood uh, planning groups to operate and bring their projects into this system. The board is, the Water Development Board is going to be the arbiters of who gets the money. There's a lot of criteria and standards in the rules as to how projects are scored and all of that. Outside of the Water Development Board, there are some major players doing similar work. And I at the state and the federal level. Um, We know that the disaster supplemental out of Congress uh, for disaster-related funding, particularly along the coast of Texas, was substantial in the billions of dollars. Those funds are principally managed by our good friends at the Texas General Land Office, who are two floors below us, I think. in this. uh, Was it above us? In this same building. Mm -hmm. And uh, they've got billions of dollars in coastal flood uh, mitigation and, and and risk management expenditures. So the question I have is, 
what is the extent of communication between the Water Development Board, the board members themselves, the Texas Land Commissioner, George P. Bush, and the other agencies that are engaged at the state level in flood planning, risk reduction, expenditures, all of this stuff? How is that? Is there a communication? Is there a coordination in these programs? That's a great question. I think historically we have really not had much overlap with the other agencies who do this type of work. There's the Texas Division of Emergency Management, and they deal with, you know, responding to emergencies, you know, right then and there. We we deal on the, the front end or the back end, but we don't usually deal right. You're not in, in the, the immediate aftermath exactly. response. Right. And then GLO has different responsibilities, and we haven't had that much overlap up until now. So that's a great question because we are working really closely with them. There's so much overlap, particularly with the um, community development block grant mitigation funding, this several billion, four point, I think, three billion dollars. Yeah. Yep. And so we have been continuously talking with GLO about how we can make sure to make the base, best use of state versus federal funds. We just don't want to spend state money on something that the feds could pay for. Right. right. So um, we're developing this thing called the Information Clearinghouse, and it's actually in Senate Bill 7. There's a little tiny blurb about it. But it is it's intended to be a website where someone can go to the site, and it's just a one-stop shop for figuring out where do I fl- fund my flood project. Hmm. And so we've been working closely with TDEM and GLO, and we hope to have that uh, website off the ground in the next couple of months. TDEM, the Texas, Texas Division, Division of, of Emergency, of emergency Management. Management. Okay. Mm-hmm. And what's the what's the website for the clearinghouse called? It is well, I don't know. It's it right now. It's called the Information Clearinghouse. Okay. I don't know. That we're going to come up with a jazzier it's, name. Than it's, that, in now, it's, it's in development. It's in development. Right. It's okay. called the Information Clearinghouse. So if anybody okay. could come up with a, a, I don't know, snazzy name for it, we're open. We're, to we'll be working but, on it. Okay. <laughs> in fact, uh, if you're, uh, we'll invite our audience to, uh, you know, send us a tweet with your <laughs> Coastal News 365 on yeah. Twitter. If you've got a snazzy name for the, for the what's it called? Currently? Information Clearinghouse. The Information Clearinghouse. Mm-hmm. For Hit pl- us up. For flood project funding in Texas. Yeah. So what we want to do is develop just a really simple intake form to where we can get the three agencies together and say, okay, this is a project that's in this county and it's doing this type of work, which funding program would, would fit, be the best fit for it? Would it Got be it. the Water Development Board funds? Would it be the GLO funds? Right. And so we all put our heads together. And the idea, too, is that um, a, a community doesn't have to go to the GLO and full, fill out a full-on application, extensive application. They could come, do this intake form, and get a you know a, some guidance on which program is oh. best, and then go forward and do an ex- God, a yeah. full application. So you don't submit everything and they say, you know what, God, love this application. Yeah. You're in the wrong it's program. Why don't you redo it and take it over to the Water Development Board? Mm-hmm. This, I mean, last week, I think it was in the last two weeks, the Texas General Land Office announced a $75 million coastal flood planning initiative for the eight coastal water basins. And it immediately struck me that, that boy, I wonder what the relationship is between the land office's coastal watershed flood areas for planning and the water development board's regional flood planning groups i mean you think immediately there and since you guys are developing the state flood master plan which is going to be a screened project list you're thinking boy uh, the land office is doing x and you guys are doing x version one uh in terms of identifying projects, the land office, as you said, has its hands on more than $4 billion in federal disaster supplements administered through the community development block grant process. You guys have got your hands on almost $800 million in the flood infrastructure fund, plus there's more here, the flood infrastructure resiliency fund, which we haven't even talked about, which is another couple of billion dollars. I mean, in my 25 years of being in Texas and working on the Texas coast, I have never seen this much money available to the state of Texas for these types of projects, particularly along the coast. And so as you're as a policy person working with the board and working with Jack Walker, the executive administrator of the agency, I'm just really curious about the necessity here of sorting out uh, this blizzard really of programs and for you know port mansfield texas or willisey county or kennedy county down on the coast and these small counties that don't have a lot of professional staff sorting your way through this blizzard seems really tough can you comment on that well, I said it is pretty tough, but it's a good problem to have. Very good problem <laughs> to have. The kind of problem you it's, want yeah, to have. It's definitely easier than the other way around. Oh, That's yeah. Right. It's a great problem. Thank God. 
Well, so that that's a good example, the GLO study along the coast. So the way we think of regional flood planning and how that process will work is that it's a framework. And so when other studies and other projects are being um, developed or things that are already on the books or things that are planned being executed, all of those things that can be put together as like a puzzle. Yeah. And so that those particular studies, the three areas along the coast, that will pl- plug into what we're doing. So there it won't be go. a duplication of effort. It'll, it'll plug in. It will take a lot of coordination. I'll say that. And we have been working a lot with them on that. We've had a lot of concerns about, hey, guys, why don't y'all, you know, we, we're going to have our stakeholder groups, you know, that you could use that as a method of, of getting out to your stakeholders. And so you wouldn't have two different sets of stakeholder groups. So You're right. How it gets can we... so confusing mm-hmm. out there. You're right, Kathleen. I hope that happens, that the land office's generated project list is sort of folded into your, because it just is the difficulty for the communities out there to, to work through this complex administrative process that's been created that we have scratched the surface Kathleen on this program and I know that the and I appreciate you talking to us because I know the water development board is is accepting comments right now and getting ready to respond to those in the next 60 days and adopt these rules so you're very busy that the, the die has not been fully cast just yet uh, but I'm, I, thanks for letting us look under the hood a little bit and see what the engine's going to look like and talk about that uh, because it's an, it, a, a topic of tremendous issue uh, for our listeners along the coast of Texas, but for Texans the sta- statewide, of course. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Kathleen Ligon, the special assistant to the executive administrator of this great agency, uh, Jeff Walker. Closing thoughts, Kathleen? I don't know. Thanks for having me. We really appreciate it, and we hope we hear from your listeners out there. We, you know, we need help. These are big things that we're doing, and we're going to really need a lot of help. So for folks out there listening who want to know more, uh, where can they go on the website to learn more about the programs that you're putting together? How do they get in touch with the agency? What's the website? How do we do that? Okay, so if you go to our website, which is twdb.texas.gov, at the very top menu, there's a there's a placeholder for flood. If you click on flood, we try to keep that page um, pretty up to date and what we're what we're doing, what deadlines are out there, and what's going on. And there's also a way to subscribe to emails from us, regular emails that we send out to tell everybody what we're up to. And then there's also social media too. And as the program gets rolled out, are there going to be workshops or uh, presentations uh, around the state to talk about this? Or I know you've done a lot of workshops in the development of the rules. Uh, are, are there, is there going to be any kind of rollout that people can come to a meeting and listen to the experts from the Water Development Board? I'm not sure. I don't think we've really gotten there quite yet. What we are doing is putting together the process to put together the regional flood planning groups. Right. And that'll be a good venue. Those will be meetings that will be held all over the state. So a lot of cases, those will be a good spot to show up at. Those will always be open to the public. Great. Ladies and gentlemen, Kathleen Ligon, Texas Water Development Board on the state of Texas's new uh, flood planning process. Thank you so much for being on the American Shoreline Podcast, Kathleen. Thank you. Beaches excel to build hotels, my father.